0: today on Wine Access Unfiltered.
1: One of the pitchers for the, the Cubs said, hey, Noah, come here. He goes, do you happen to like wine? And I go, yeah. So he opens up the storage area. That's where you're supposed to put like your, your shoes, your gloves or anything like that. There was no shoes, no gloves. He opened it up and there was lines of bottles of wine lined up in the storage area. I mean, he goes, what do you think?
0: <laughs> Welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered podcast. I am your host, Amanda McCrossan, and I am here... Once again, virtually, but still together with Vanessa Conlin. So
2: excited to be here. Yes.
0: Uh, you're not you're not a Boston fan, are you? You know, I did go to Boston University for grad school, so oh. yeah. Well, does the name Nomar Garcia-Para mean anything to you? It actually does. I am not a baseball aficionado. However, the name Nomar Garcia-Para does ring a bell because I used to take care of him At press when he came in with his also very famous wife, Mia Hamm, the famous World Cup Cup champion and Olympic soccer player. So they are they're a couple. They're a power couple. But more than that, they are the nicest human beings I think I've ever met. And they also really, really, really love wine. Nomar knows his stuff. I remember this from from sitting at press with him. I am
2: so excited for you to blow his mind by <laughs> by reminding him that you've actually taken care <laughs> of him at press. I've heard a lot about his love
0: of wine, his knowledge of wine, but also that he he doesn't just love it; he actually studies it. He played shortstop for the Boston Red Sox. He has numerous accolades and is a wonderful human being who loves wines from. Napa Valley. He has visited regions like Germany. Um, He's a guy that collects wine, likes wines kind of at all price points. So as far as selecting wines, I will say this has probably been one of the most challenging, but also exciting because I think that we can push a little bit beyond where we normally have before just because he has had so many different wines. And because he seems really adventurous. We don't drink a lot of white wine on this podcast, which is a crying shame as far as I'm concerned. So I'm very excited to drink a bottle of red and white. Yes. That changes today. Well, that changes now. But <laughs> <Well, laughs> yes. I guess as always, without any further ado, let's drink. We are very excited to be here with Nomar Garcia-Para. How are you doing? I'm
1: doing great. How are you guys?
0: I've got Wine and I've got Vanessa who is always wonderful and uh a new a new smiling face who I hear is enthusiastic about wine.
1: Yeah, really exciting to really dig into these wines you guys sent.
0: Good. Yeah. We uh we heard you're you're quite into the juice and had uh have some love for Napa because you travel to Napa quite a bit where both of us live. Um but also have a love for other countries like Germany. So, I don't know, Vanessa. Were these selfish picks on our part? I feel like in, in part they kind of were because I really wanted to drink both of these wines. Well, it definitely empowered us to be selfish. <laughs>
2: yes, <laughs> hearing about your your likes uh, in the wine world. But no, I'm I'm really excited, and um, we actually haven't had a lot of white wine on this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I'm really really excited to have this Riesling open. It's like a beautiful warm day here in Napa, so it's it's going down pretty easy. <laughs> Yeah, and that's good. Well, I,
1: I often get asked, you know, they go, oh, you love wine. And they go, well, what's your favorite wine? You know, what do you like to drink? And, I, and I'm always one of those. I go, first of all, I don't discriminate, you know, because they always go, oh, right. red or white. And I said, well, I don't discriminate. And I go into just depends on my mood. I say, because wine is such a mood drink. I said, so I whatever. If it's a nice warm day. Yes, I think about these beautiful German Rieslings that are out there. And then if it's a nice day yeah. by the fire and I'm looking to get cozy, well, then there might be some other red. or what. So it just it varies.
2: Yeah, that is, depends so much on uh, exactly on your mood, the weather, what you're eating, who you're with. That, but that's the beauty about wine, right? There's so much to choose from. So why why pick just one? We always have options.
0: Well, we have the, a 2009 <laughs> Cabinet Riesling from, uh, from Germany, from the, I think from the Rheingau, right? Um, it's from the Rheingau. Yes. From the Rheingau. And this was actually aged at the winery. So this is about as good a provenance as you could hope for with any wine. But I think especially with the, with the Riesling with some age, have you had any white wines with age, Namar? No is that something you enjoy?
1: I, I, I have. I've actually had a few Rieslings with age. Um, um, I actually been to the region of the Rheingau and I went to a couple of wineries out there. And I think that also sparked some of the love that I have for that area in Rieslings. I think Riesling has gets a bad rap. I think there's a misconnotation with regards to Rieslings. Everybody always thinks, "Oh, I don't like Rieslings. I don't like sweet wines." That they think all Rieslings are sweet. And, and not knowing that right. you, you can have a nice dry r- Riesling, a refreshing and and really also just the, the designations throughout there and understanding that. And when you want to read a label and when you do read the label, understanding uh, what you're going to get from that bottle.
0: Yeah. I, Laura had mentioned that you had been to the Rangau, which is part of the impetus for the selection of this wine. I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, well, any excuse to drink German Riesling is a good one. <laughs> Um, but what was that trip? Like, was that for work or pleasure or how did you end up in, uh, in the Rangel?
1: One, let's just make something really clear. I married very, very well. I'm way over my skis. I have an amazing, beautiful <laughs> wife. Uh, and actually it was prior to the women's world cup that was held in Germany. Um, the German federation actually called her over or asked her for, to help out maybe with some promotional, um, tasks prior to the world cup getting to germany about a year before and it was great because they invited the entire family uh, so my daughters were really young at the time and um, i went over my mom actually came over as well to help with our twin girls at the time and we were staying in frankfurt and it allowed us to have an opportunity to take a train to go over to the Rheingau region and and i was so excited because we actually had some time to actually go visit some of these wineries and it was it, it was just so much fun. I mean, we went to a couple of them. One of them was Robert Wheel. And, uh, and actually, mm. it, it was just my mom and I ended up going. My, uh, my wife at the time was like, listen, I, you guys just go. And I'm like, well, you love wine, too. She goes, I know. But you know what? I just think you guys should go right now. And uh, she watched the girls. So it was really cool experience uh, as well just to go with my my mom. And she was she was also one of those like riesling. No, what are you talking about? And just the whole experience and understanding. So I think that also added uh, to the whole experience. But but prior to that, you know, I was also just studying and reading and understanding about rieslings, just so I can ask more questions and and really gain um, further knowledge on the region.
0: Yeah. So you're you're like into wine. This is this is not a casual hobby. This is like something that you take a lot of time and do a lot of research and, and how did, how did that start for you?
1: Well, I, I blame the veterans that I played with when I got to the major oh. league level. It's, <laughs> they're the ones who got me into it. Um, usually when you are, when you're playing baseball at the major league level, you really, when you think about it, our games are at night. Most of the time our games are at night. So we're not really sitting around and having dinners. And so there are occasions when we can, maybe when we're traveling, we may have a day game and we get into another city and we have a chance to sit down and eat dinner. Well, since those are so few uh, few times, oftentimes it's at a very nice restaurant if we're going out. So I remember being a rookie and I was one of those rookies that did whatever a veteran said. I was, yes, sir. I mean, be here. Yes, sir. Go get me coffee. Yes, sir. (laughs) Whatever it is, I would do. And they would invite me out to dinners and they said, would you like to come? And I said, I'll be there. (laughs) And it would usually be at these amazing restaurants. And when I would sit down and be like these beautiful steakhouses and the waiter would come around, they'd ask me what I want to drink. And I said, I'll have a beer. And they're like, no, he'll have wine. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to have wine. (laughs) And my thought of wine and my experience with wine at the time was probably that came something in a box, you know, especially where I grew up um, in, in Southern California. And and the income that my family had growing up. So we didn't really, wine wasn't the, the drink of choice. And so all of a sudden I would go thinking, all right, I hope I, I, I like this. I can't be rude. These guys still might have to drink it. But when I started drinking it, I was amazed. My eyes opened up. I'm like, what is this?
0: Yeah. Well, no matter Who are the other who are the other baseball players, professional baseball players that are also into wine? Are there any? Lots. Really? <laughs> one of the, here's a
1: cool baseball story with it. So I get traded from the Red Sox to the Cubs. And so I'm in the Cubs and you, you have a new new team. And you're like, all right, just kind of going, gosh, I hope I fit in. What's this new group? I was somewhere for so long. And Glendon Rush, one of the pitchers for the the Cubs said hey no come here he goes do you happen to like wine because i kind of heard on the thing and i go yeah so the way our you know we have a kind of a locker where our um where our clothes are hung up and then at the bottom we kind of have this uh, storage area so he opens up the storage area and there's no like that's where you're supposed to put like your extra shoes your gloves or anything like that there was no shoes no gloves he opened it up And there was lines of bottles of wine lined up in his storage area. I mean, he goes, what do you think? I mean, there was like Rubicon. It was insignia. It was, I mean, it was amazing. And I'm like, I'm going to like around that right here. We are going (laughs) to, this." I I came to the right place. So yes, there are quite a few. And that's, like I said, that's how I got started because these veterans got me into wine. And uh, so there are baseball players who definitely have Uh, a good knowledge uh, of wine and passion and share that and share uh, like I do.
0: Yeah. It's a heck of an entree. I think, you know, very different than, than mine and Vanessa's.
1: And from there I started wondering and befriending the sommeliers that were at these restaurants. And I started to pick their brains. I started to ask, okay, I would see the menu and see what we were drinking and realize I couldn't afford what we were drinking Uh (laughs) But I would ask them, hey, can you help me with maybe something in a different price range or something I can go look for on my own? And that's when I just started doing it myself and saying, oh, I do like what I do like, what I don't like. And oftentimes we would go back to some of these restaurants another time. So I would constantly pick the sommelier's brains. And then um, it went from there. And then I ended up befriending a, a great winemaker in Napa. Um, he made wine for Silver Oak, Daniel Barron, who's just a dear, dear friend of mine. And he's another one who just expanded my knowledge and helped me through it. I, you know, he's just one of those people that are just so interesting, but also he didn't make it intimidating. It was, he was like, here's wine 101. No question is a dumb question. Ask away. And when when you have that comfort to be able to talk to somebody like that, I, I felt like the sky was the limit and I, I, owe, I owe him an awful lot. Uh, for teaching me and helping me um, enjoy this a wonderful drink.
0: That's a good mentor to have. And so you talked about restaurants a little bit. Uh, what have been some of your favorite experiences thus far?
1: Wow. Um, there have been quite a few. I've been very lucky. When I was playing, we used to go all the way to the Metropolitan Grill in Seattle. That was a place that we mm-hmm. o- often went because we were going from the East Coast to the West Coast. So that was a, a popular place. Um, a lot of famous different steakhouses in different uh, cities. Um, some of my best restaurant experience, I actually go in Napa. You know, more recently, I've had just amazing dinners at Press every time I go to Press. And uh, one of my ultimate um, wine dinners uh, was at, it was a, quite a few years ago, uh, at Press. And the amount of different wines that I would just was experienced throughout there. Um, I had an actual dual vintage uh, St. Clement. Um, that, that I still, to this day, still think about it, it may be one of the best glasses of wine I've ever had. It was, yeah. uh, when you think about it, it was nearly 40 years old, dual vintage. People are going, what do you mean, a dual vintage Cabernet? What are you talking about? And under- really understanding what that really means when you have a dual vintage. Uh, but to have that and the way it just stood up, I said this would stand up to any great Bordeaux. If anybody did a blind taste, they would assume that this was from Bordeaux. And it, it was just amazing. But the entire dinner... Um, through, through the list and what we started off with, with a Leroy, a white burgundy <laughs> to a St. Clement. I mean, it was just off the charts. So those things are just obviously so memorable. And you remember the company you're with and uh, the sommelier press. She was just amazing and, and so, uh, so helpful.
0: Well, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that because that's actually where I used to work. Um. Uh-huh. So I, I don't know if you remember. Uh, but maybe it was your last experience. Do you remember having a uh the brand Brio?
1: Total. Are you kidding me? We every time now we see it and find it, we always get it.
0: So I am the one that recommended and served that bottle to you. I don't. I don't know if that would. Amanda, if you remember. put those things together, uh, you know, it's so
1: funny because uh, <laughs> it, it was it was perfect. Because you gave us three options and we were talking about and we were there uh, the last time my wife and I were in in, in Napa. And you're asking us what what we like, what we've been enjoying. And I mentioned about, you know, Georgia Third Vineyard. And and, uh, I mean, you knocked it out of the park. As a matter of fact, we actually talk about we go we went to these amazing wineries while we were there. And we you and I had talked about that. Mm -hmm. And when we came back and we went to other families, the one bottle that we said was our favorite was the Brio you brought us. And to this day, even when my, it's so funny, my wife the other day was at Total Wine. She's like, hey, they have Brio here. <laughs> and it was, I was like, really? How many bottles? And she goes, don't worry. I got them all. You know, <laughs> it was like that uh, from that experience. And uh, I had some other friends of mine who were going up to Napa. I mentioned about uh, Brand in Brio and they were like, they came back and said, oh, thank you for the recommendation. They said that was outstanding. So. Uh, yeah, we definitely talk about it. it really has uh, has jumped up to one of the top of my list as well.
0: Oh, good. I I'm very glad to hear that. The other little piece of that was I knew Christine and Jim were sitting in the restaurant, and so there was a little bit of like a a lean into the brand Rio just because I knew the experience would be so much better because Christine and Jim are wonderful, and they I knew that they would come over and and say hi and and hope, wish you well with the wine. So that was one of my favorite things parts about working at Press was the ability to create serendipity or, or uh, at least um, help to push it in a direction that I would like it to go.
1: And it was Ann Colgan there that night as well. I, believe. I think she
0: was. that <laughs> <Yeah>. night. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so that I was like, it was quite a night. No, it was definitely memorable for sure. Yeah.
0: Good. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Well, we did give you, we did give you two wines. I don't, you didn't list Olivale as a, a wine, um, that you, that you listed as a favorite, but I, are you familiar with Alibali? Because if you weren't, I figured this was a, a really good way to go.
1: Well, uh, I, I am familiar with it. And uh, I was really excited uh, when I saw this wine. And it, it's funny. Uh, I'll give you a look. The one you sent, I am, I've only tried this one time. And... It's funny because the couple that you actually met that we were sitting with, uh, the Mm -hmm. two couples, uh, one of the the couple we were sitting at press, so we were just with one couple, and then another couple. We all went out to dinner, and we actually went to a local steakhouse. And I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse. Everybody always hands me the wine list. (laughs) Here you go. (laughs) When you're sitting at dinner, Uh, I'm sure you guys experience that an awful lot. You're like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to take this as a blessing or a curse. (laughs) uh, Which way to go? And um, you know, so, you know, I factor everything in that, you know, I know the people factoring what they like, factoring what we're having. Um, I, I often ask questions when I get the wine list. You know, what do you what do you like? What do you need to move forward? What do you prefer? You know, when I'm with a group. But I actually picked this bottle out of out of the wine list. And I just knew I just knew Dolly Valley. I hadn't mm-hmm. had this particular bottle, but I also knew just kind of the characteristics and the quality and the and, uh, of the wines that they're producing on a regular basis, and and that maybe not many people may know uh, them, um, but this was on the list, and uh, everybody, you know, not like I guess like a sommelier after everybody's trying it and they're having it and you're kind of hoping that they're really enjoying her, what do you think? And they were like, oh, this is delicious. Thank you so much. This is awesome. And so, uh, yeah, it worked out really well.
0: <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Vanessa, you you know this wine quite well. Um, uh, this is the Kalina 2016 uh, Napa Valley red wine.
2: Yes. And so this is sort of their, um, you know, the the, they don't call it a second wine, but kind of the, the baby brother to the, you know, the Napa Valley Cab and the, and the Maya, which obviously they're making in a fashion where they're intending it to, you know, cellar really perfectly for a long, long periods. And so this is a wine I really enjoy because I think it really captures the essence of what they do. It's, it, I mean, the quality is outstanding. It has so much personality. It's so elegant and graceful, but yet like with a really powerful live core to it, um, but intended to be able to enjoy a little bit earlier. And I think it's, um, drinking really, really beautifully today.
0: I do too. And I, I think that's a, re- a really important point that you made because a lot of these wines people want to try, like, you know, the, the flagship Del Valle, the Maya, some of these very expensive wines. It's really, you know, you look at the price points of these wines on a wine list or on a retail shelf and you're like, I don't know what the difference between you know, this $600 bottle and this $800 bottle. And so by having these access points, I think it's really important for consumers who are interested in just getting a stylistic sense of whether or not they want more of that or they want maybe want to go in a completely different direction without having to commit to the six dollars or $800 price tag that it would otherwise command.
1: That's a great point. I think people often miss that. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, people all, often, I think, misunderstand also what uh, the sommeliers uh, therefore, to help you enjoy your experience, and and I think they're intimidated quite often. Um, I always yeah. tell them they're there to make you enjoy your experience. And as a matter of fact, when you have a great experience, they are thrilled. I mean, it, it makes their day, makes their night. <laughs> and yeah, and I told them, and I would tell people, don't be afraid to also give uh, the sommelier a price point. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I think they're always scared to do that.
2: I think you're exactly right. No more that like the. Um... Psalms are there to enhance your experience. I think people sometimes think it's like the customer is needs to impress that person, when in fact, you know, they're there to to help guide the experience. But it kind of made me want to ask you, Amanda, like because I love also that you said like don't be afraid to put a number out there to just say your your price range. Like if someone didn't give you that, Amanda, like how did where do you even go from there? Like how do you know where to guide them? <laughs> Oh,
0: man. <laughs> this is like a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> it's a good question. And I you know, I, I think just before I even answer that, Nomar, I think you are unique in how you approach the sommelier. Not unique, but I think it's, it's a refreshing approach because I do think, to your point, a lot of people do think the sommelier is there to just sell you wine. And the reality is they're actually there to just enhance your overall experience. And wine just does that innately. Um, but To your question, Vanessa, how do you assess uh, what we should be recommending as far as uh, price? Uh, There's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, A lot of times we will, you know, we'll start with that initial conversation, that sort of table side chat and start asking if there are producers that you regularly gravitate towards. Being in Napa Valley, when I was working at Press, we had the luxury of asking you know, where, what hotel are you staying at? Where are you uh, visiting while you're here? And those things can sort of be markers or clues. They're not always indicative of how much you want to spend in a bottle of wine. I think the the more specific a guest can be with, you know, if you don't want to name a number, you know, give me an idea of the wines that you're drinking at home. If there's specific producers, give me those producers. That's far more helpful than saying, I want a wine that tastes like blackberries. That's really dry and also I like earthy wines. Like those things, you know, they mean so many things to so many different people.
1: I, I tell people who are embarrassed to maybe give out a price in the middle of dinner. I always say, let imagine if you're on a date and you're like, okay, I have a price point and you know what you want you're embarrassed <laughs> on what I, I I say pick two bottles. That are within the price points you're looking at, and mention that to the mm-hmm. sommelier. Well, I'm looking at these two bottles, and then give you descriptions mm-hmm. of what you're maybe you're interested in. Um, as I'm looking at these, or, and then go, what do you recommend? And I think that me goes, okay, I see where you're staying. Here's one that I might hit without you having to actually say the amount <laughs> out loud.
0: Yeah, no, it's that's a good point. You know, without having to say the the actual number, you know, highlight those wines, point them out in the list, and say. I'm like, as you just said, I'm maybe interested in these wines. Can you tell me more about them? And then, you know, you can kind of have a conversation from there. And the reality is, like, you know, not everybody wants to have a 10 minute conversation with the psalm. Sometimes it's just a 30 second, like, I just want something fruity, easy, and that's going to get me through the night without having to get in a fight with the person I'm here with. So like, let's make this snappy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. My problem often is I'm like, here, sit down, have a glass. Stay a while.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember that about you. <laughs> Are you someone that does a little research before you go to a restaurant on the wine list?
1: No, not all the time. Okay. Actually, Mia will, when she is maybe going with, if, if we're going to dinner, we know we're going out with certain people with dinner that Maybe we're not familiar with going out to dinner with mm-hmm. and we say, hey, here's the restaurant we're going. Or if they put it on her to pick the restaurant. Oh, we'd love to meet up with you. Where, we, where would you like to go to dinner? And it's maybe somewhere halfway between where they live and we live. And now we're looking for a restaurant. Then we're looking at the wine list. And then her and I are going over it like, oh, they have this wine. What do you think? If we have this di- uh, type of dinner, I'm like, oh, that that's perfect. Yeah, let's pick that restaurant. So it So it does come up. But uh, in those circumstances,
0: yeah, Vanessa, are you someone that that researches ahead of time? Do you like looking at the wine list, or
2: no? Because I like to go and put myself in the hands of the sommelier. Mm. So I don't. I uh, I lean heavily, and I like to because it's because it keeps me exploring. Yeah, you know. I mean, maybe if I know I'm going to be in a big group and I don't want to have to, you know figure things out on the fly or it's going to be then then I'll put some thought into it. But no, I like to go and be surprised and delighted. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I do, too. I I I may be different since I came from a hospitality background, but I like to know going into it. I like to have a general thought as to whether or not the wine list is something that I'm going to dive into like, I'll look just to see a general idea of like, does this place have a really solid wine program? Or should I prepare myself for a cocktail? Like, that's the extent that I want to know. And then just have a general framework of like, am I going to be spending $100 on wine tonight? $300 on wine tonight? Am I blowing the bank on the wine tonight? Like, can I pay my rent on Friday? I just want to know going into it like mentally. And then from there, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, whatever happens, happens. You were even
1: talking about bringing up price points in your head. Like it's automatic. I mean, here are somebody who has so much experience that you have, like it, it, you naturally do that of what mm-hmm. you're in the mood for. And that's why I, I always say, please talk to the sommelier and use them because if they bring something in it, it wasn't in your head when you were coming in, it, it, you don't want it to mess up your, your dinner, your night. You know, when you're done or when you get the bill, you're like, well, wait a minute. That's not what I was intending to spend. Well, you didn't tell the person what you were (laughs) intending to spend. So it's so funny is uh, that, yeah, it's okay to feel that way. And it's okay to understand that because um, we're all doing that when uh, based on our mood for that day.
0: Yeah. Hospitality is all about managing expectations. And so the more you can help us to do that, the better off the experience is going to be. You know, there's nothing worse than an unhappy guest at the end of the night. Or at any point in the night, but I mean, truly, there. I think hospitality people are very sensitive and 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 take it to heart when someone has a bad experience, or if you know it wasn't what they expected, or God forbid, they get sticker shock at the end of the night. Um, I, I think that you know, just as a guest, knowing that that's never really the intent, that no one is ever really, most people are not out to get you. I think that really sets everyone up for success in a in a dining environment. Um. I I keep going back to this two thousand nine Prince von Hessen and it is just so lovely.
1: <laughs> it is so good. Uh, the there there's that hint of honeysuckle in the background. I mean, there's and mm-hmm. and a lot of people when they think of Rieslings, I, I know honeysuckle might pop in, and then they're thinking, "Well, there's the sweetness we were talking about." But no, it's just a it's a hint of it in the background, and there's there's acid that there's this acidic mm-hmm. quality to it that I really, really like. It's funny. I grabbed actually <laughs> me. I have, you know, a little Parmesan cheese, a little salami crackers here next to me as I'm having oh, wine. Oh, you're
0: holding out on us. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that well,
1: it's funny. <laughs> I wanted to try, I, I I wanted to get some of the Parmesan cheese also just to have that and then try it to see how that even cuts through some of the acidity in the wine and bring it out. So to me, it was, uh, it's, like I said, I really enjoy rieslings. I really like it. I I, I love it. I think it's just uh, like I said. There's so there's so much complexity to it and and diversity to it. So it, it's delicious.
0: No more. You're going to make me cry eating that Parmesan with <laughs> a re. Ries- oh my lord! I'm getting like welled up over here. <laughs> uh,
2: I heard um, that you actually took a class here in Napa with uh, with Karen McNeil. I I I. When I heard that, I thought, I, I feel like we're going to be kindred spirits because I love taking classes <laughs> about, uh, I, you know, people often, I don't know if, if anyone asks you this, like, oh, did you have an epiphany bottle, like the bottle that like made you fall in love with wine? And for me, it was a class that I went to. That was my epiphany. Um, so I was just curious, what made you want to take a, actually sit down and take a class?
1: I've always uh, wanted to take the class and my lovely wife. For my 40th birthdays, she goes here, here's the book to CIA, find a class and go. <laughs> uh, so it took me about a year or so to actually find a, a week I could do this <laughs> from my, in my schedule but I literally just um, signed up for a class. One of the classes up there, I stayed out there by myself for a week, saw where the wind took me throughout. That's where I actually had that dinner I talked to earlier about at press. I read her book, The Wine Bible, from cover to cover. So you talk about how crazy I am. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I was willing to (laughs) sit. And and just before I took her class, I wanted to read the book. Uh, I did that from cover to cover going out there. And yeah, it was, it was so much fun. And I just loved to the, all the people that ended up taking the class as well. It wasn't just people in wine. It was somebody saying, oh, my, my husband gave me this gift or my, my wife gave me this gift, or I'm retired and I'm just really love wine and want to expand my, uh, expand my knowledge to some going, I would like to be a sommelier. And I thought this would be a great class to take. And, and so it was just the whole, um, experience and, also, to have lunch in the kitchen at that <laughs> view—wow! Um, so, yeah, it's a, its I, I ate well. I, I, uh, I told, I told my wife. I said, "We got to do this together because I know how much you would love this, and I know how much she uh, enjoys cooking, and maybe take a class as well." But at the
2: Culinary Institute, yeah.
1: It was, it was definitely a special, special gift and something that was definitely memorable for sure. And <laughs> um, yeah, love just keep. I, I always say. In baseball, people go, why do you love wine so much? And I said, well, in baseball, I go, if somebody were to tell you they know everything about baseball, I say, walk away. I said, because you'll never know everything about baseball. It it evolves. There's so much to learn. And that's what the beauty of it, in my view. And I said, and wine's the same way. If somebody tells you they know everything about wine, walk away, because it's always evolving. It's changing. And there's so much to learn along the way. Um, and that's the other beauty of it. So I think there, I always say there's a close comparison to the two.
2: I mean, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I love about wine is I, I, I'll never know everything. Um, but that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, right? Is like, you know, what am I going to learn today? <laughs> and who am I going to learn from? You know, that's, that's the, one of the, one of the, one of the best parts about, I think being in the industry or just being a, a wine lover, but Back to the class just for a minute. So I'm just curious. So, so, you know, you show up to class, like what was the reaction of the other people? Did, were you recognized? Were people asking you for your autograph?
1: But, you know, that's, that, that's so funny is, so we, Karen, Karen, unfortunately had like a little scheduling conflict. So she wasn't able to make it to the morning session of the class. So there was a morning and afternoon session of the class. So we, Somebody else was teaching a class right in the morning, and we're all sitting in that beautiful, beautiful stadium seating classroom over there at CIA. Wow. That, that in and of itself creates an, an unbelievable experience. Then she shows up in the afternoon, and now she's talking about wine. We're pouring wine. She wants to. And then she's going around and asking people, like, why are you here? You know, what's what motivated you to be here? So everybody's just kind of going around, said, you know, I had a gift or like I was talking before, I want to be a sommelier, whatever it may be. Uh, they come to me and I just say, it was a gift from my wife. I love wine. And then it went on to other people in the classroom. And then a lovely lady, she says why she's there. And when she's done, she turns around and says, by the way, can I get a picture with you um, at, You know, after class? and ask me for that. And then somebody else goes, I was, I was embarrassed to ask, yeah, can I get one? And and Karen was just kind of like, what's going on? Why would they want a picture? Like she was like, okay, why would they want a picture with you and everything? And I just was kind of like nodding. And I'm like, I don't want to take away from the class. And we did this. So there were a few people who definitely said that. And then the next day I think Karen goes, okay. I go, did you Google me? (laughs) And so it was, um, it was great. And like I said, she, as you know, she's just amazing. And the places she took us throughout the class, her knowledge, um, what she shared with us, what we got to experience and understand throughout that class. Uh, I, st- I still use those experiences now as I'm trying to continue the journey in wine. And, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> that, that was kind of funny um, that, you know, afterwards she goes, OK, I, I got it you know, a couple of days later.
0: is <laughs> the best. She, I mean, in addition to being an amazing white educator, she's actually one of the funniest human beings you'll ever meet, And she's got a really dry, witty, sarcastic sense of humor. So I can only imagine what her reaction was <laughs> when that all went down.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember in the class, was there uh, one topic that kind of like was the most eye-opening or that really blew your mind? You know,
1: that's a great question. Good question. What I what I really liked or my thought coming in was when you're describing a wine, I always say, Well, you, you can't be wrong because it's what you what you describe. I felt like, oh, I can be wrong. Because <laughs> Karen was like, No, <laughs> no. Like, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, and that really is- that really—it's so funny because I think when she was, when people were trying to describe it, and I think a lot of people felt that way. Were like, how do you know when I'm tasting or or what uh, the the flavors that are coming out? And then she was like, "No." And everybody was like, "Whoa, okay, you got to step it
0: up." Lady means like business.
1: <laughs> so it was like, "Okay, you can be wrong." So that that was great. And then also the way she wanted us to describe the wine was another something that I, I took from it. Like I said, when she missed the first uh, part of it. Uh, a sommelier uh, taught that morning class. So now we were thinking, you know, and you learn about, you know, the sommelier wheel. You learn about all um, the different aspects of wine that it, that it entails. And you're starting to break down the wine from that standpoint when you're, you're blind tasting. She really didn't want us to do that. She came in. She goes, listen, I don't, I don't need a sommelier here to break down this wine. She goes, I really want descriptors. I really want you to describe what you're tasting so I can remember what you're tasting. She goes, I'm not going to remember that it was high in oak, it was low in tannins, or it was, you know, high acid. And, the, and you know, she goes, I'm not going to remember that. Give me something to remember. So I, I remember like one having a, a red, a red, I go, gosh, this reminds me of a bottle of red poured over a fresh, uh, a, a freshly made oak bench in a park. Like that was a descriptor, yes. and like I was like, oh my gosh, that's that's yeah. memorable. And I, I, you would hear people. I remember so funny. Like I could talk. You know, you look at this Riesling, and often Rieslings remind me, and it, and this one that we're drinking right now will remind me in kind of a a nice fall day in the forest, as you see a, a clean spring of water going over like stone and walk, you know, mm. that you're just walking where it's comfortable. I'm in shorts. It's not a cold day, but you're going, I'm just drinking that. But I just feel this, you know, that that crispness because there's the acid and the crispness of this Riesling going over stone. So that's like the descriptions that this description she wanted. And it really made you think. And the other thing that I realized after done with these classes, how tired I was.
0: How exhausted
1: you are from using those senses—that not only to really dive into the wine, but how everything has to come together in your mind to think about how I'm going to describe this. It was awesome.
0: (laughs) No, no, Mar. I love that you. I love that you said that, and I love that that was your takeaway. And it's really interesting that you brought that up because yesterday I just I have I have a YouTube channel and I was filming a video because I realized that in all the videos that I've ever done. I am not talking in those videos the way that about wine, the way that I talk about wine in real life. So I made this video with three different wines from the same vineyard made by the same winemaker uh, from the same vintage, same grape to highlight the fact that these wines, even though they're essentially cut from the same cloth, they all have very distinct personalities. And if you allow yourself to just kind of sit there and let the aromatics, let the palate wash over you, I promise you there is going to be an image and a feeling and a smell and a sound and a color and all of these things that you wouldn't, you know, you're trying to dig deep for like, oh, what is that flavor? Is it pineapple? Is it apricot? I can't, I can't pick it out. What is that? But if you sit there and you just allow this sort of, um, this, these non-text sheet words to happen in your brain, they will happen. And to your point, you will always remember that wine better that way than just trying to figure out what the actual descriptors are in the wine.
1: Yeah, I found, I found myself too, when I go to the farmer's market, a little bit different mentality when I go there because I would find myself going to certain things just to smell them. The different herbs now that I normally would, and I'm like, why am I smelling this? But just to try to understand it and see what that is to see if that actually pops up when I'm actually tasting and trying different wines, but it just just to try to you know everybody says how do you expand your palate and you, you everybody thinks it's just a matter of tasting things for your palate. I'm like no, a lot of it's smelling things that actually yeah. mm-hmm. help expand your palate. So even when I'm now, I find myself doing that, just smelling things a little bit, just for and I, I learned that a lot from that class as well. That oh, that that's helpful to go do.
2: That's great. That's actually a way that that I also. Learned about wine was, you know, going through going to the, the farmer's market and yeah, putting my nose in every single thing or, you know, opening up every single spice in the cabinet. Um and just just diving in and getting a sense memory. And I think it's it's something that any kind of skill that you're born with, right? Like you have to have something there that you can expand upon. Like for me, I could practice baseball every day for the rest of my life, and I would still be terrible because i I was born with no talent. But I think like, you know, within reason, everyone has something to build upon. Um And I think that's probably a question I get more than anything is like, well, how did you, you know, I'll describe something like, well, how did you, how did you know that? Or how did you get that? Or you say that and now I, now I taste it, but I didn't. And it's, it's exactly, it's exactly as you described. You just have to kind of roll up your, roll up your sleeves and, and like pick up every single vegetable and fruit and herb and, and just get a sense memory for it. So
0: how, how have you been doing during uh, the quarantine? Have you been drinking a lot of wine? Has it been different wine? What's your, what's your wine story been?
1: Yes, I have been drinking quite a bit of wine.
0: all all the Brio, as it turns out.
1: Yes. For drinking the Brio, I have got into my, I definitely, people ask, what's the quarantine been like? And I said, it's allowed me to definitely dive into my wine cellar for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Make a dent in the wine cellar, which is great to do. Um, I I find myself now just going in there and just grabbing one. And what I, it's allowed me to I think oftentimes when people go into their cellar, they have a cellar at home and are looking at wines, it's going, okay, but when, when am I going to drink this? Let me wait. You know, you feel like you're waiting for something or that special occasion or whatever it may be. And I just found myself just covering my eyes and grabbing it and I'm having this and, you know, it was great because me, I would go, why this one? Because it was in front of me, you know, (laughs) and, and because we're making dinner and we're all together as a family why not and she's like you're right and and that's and i i'm grateful that i've been doing that an awful lot and a lot more um we'll 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 go through our seller we've done that a little bit where we just we just look up just prices so we can understand what those prices are and we'll just kind of make little notes for ourselves because even me, will go, I just want to know just maybe what I'm actually grabbing at times, you know, just from a, a price point standpoint, um, just to understand. And because we're, people might think, Oh, you, what do you guys have? You know, you guys drinking expensive wines all this time. You're, mm-hmm. and it's like, no, uh, I don't drink expensive wines. I don't have to, there's so much joyments and, and other price points in wine. And so we have those bottles and we, we enjoy those bottles. And I think that's what wine's about. Yes. They're there's some expensive ones out there. And and then there's some where there's a price point where I just seem to hit, I think the bottles that I'm drinking happen to hit that price point because I just really enjoy these bottles all the time on a regular basis, no matter what it may be. And they just happen to sit in that price point, which is great. And it's not breaking the bank either. It's not where you're going, oh, what is the price point? Two, three. No, like, I don't need that. I go and I tell people, shoot, there's 60 Thirty to sixty dollar bottles out there that you're just going, man. Uh, you'll get the same enjoyment out of a two hundred dollar bottle. To be quite honest, they exist.
0: Yeah, I, actually, this reasoning is pretty reasonable, right? It's this is like between thirty and forty bucks, I think. Yeah,
1: 30. I can I can drink this all day. Yeah, uh... <laughs> oh, it's lovely.
0: Are there are there any um, thirty to fifty dollar bottles in particular that you have become kind of like go tos in your house? You can remember the names of the producers or where they're from.
1: I like Rioja an awful lot. Mm-hmm. I love that region. I love the Riojas. And, and you can find really solid bottles, um, Grand Reserves from like the $50 range that are just amazing, just easy to drink, go with so many different types of foods and are, are really solid. Um, I think understanding different regions throughout uh, the world um, really helps because… Um, everybody just thinks Napa, Bordeaux, all your French, your major French areas. At no, you can go outside of that. To me, a Susanna Balbo Malbec with a hamburger. Yeah, thank you very much. If I make, I have a great hamburger and a Susanna Balbo Malbec. Uh, it, the pairing's fantastic, and I'm excited. And it's uh, th- that's a solid one. Um, mm-hmm. The German Rieslings um, that we we talked about. I have some beautiful JJ Prums that I'm just going all right. That are around 20, $29, $20. It
0: boggles my mind that Rieslings of that quality can be as cheap as they are. Exactly. Isn't that crazy to me? It's nuts to me.
1: Right. I, I it's so fun. I, I get those and I'm, I got a lovely spot, lazy J.J. Prome and I'm putting that on ice and I'm sitting outside uh, in the yard on, on a nice warm day. It's, it's to die for. And everybody's like, Oh my gosh, what is this? And I'm like, yeah, it's, Twenty (laughs)
0: nine dollars. Well, no, I mean, I think you you hit the nail on the head with certain regions. Certainly, lend themselves to a little bit more uh, value per dollar. And you know, I certainly think Rioja is a really great place to find quality wines at uh, at, you know a price point that in other places would just be three or four times that. Um, I'm curious, though. You know, you mentioned that you befriended sommeliers pretty early on, and that's kind of a game that somms play because you know we're serving insane, insane bottles. Like, you know, at any given night, I'm selling $10,000 worth of wine, you know, bottles that I can't normally afford. But then I go home and I'm like, well, crap, like, what am I going to drink? <laughs> I've just been serving these great wines. And so, you know, sommeliers and Wine Professionals are used to trying to find great wines at a fraction of the price. And so a lot of times, like our go-tos, of course, are Riesling, Cru Beaujolais, Spain argentino was that a trick that you learned from sommeliers was that something that you picked up or is this just something that you were like trial by fire
1: you know that's a great question um i'm trying to remember how i started getting into varietals i think when i just started reading books about wine i started learning about varietals and then trying them um like i said i really like the riojas and then i love italian wines i mean you you can actually find a a beautiful barolo around that price point that we mentioned Mm -hmm. as well a nice barbaresco Mm -hmm. as well that kind of hits that um, and then, um, I, I think that's where I think early on too, when I was talking to yays and hitting the price points, they just kind of mentioned some of these other regions. So I think that really sparked it because I couldn't mm-hmm. afford, uh, certain wines that were on the table at the time. Mm-hmm. I love, I'm just thinking about when you're talking about Spain, I thought about, you know. Albariño is a nice wine. love an Albariño that's another just uh, amazing white wine in the Real Maceis area that they have that they come from Spain and you can find a nice quality one for a, a decent mm-hmm. price point as well. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> no more, have you had the Do DO, it's a green label F E R R E I R O I think. No, I haven't had that one. It is my favorite Albariño and it is so inexpensive and I remember Scott Brenner the my former boss at Press he blinded me and Jilly, who was who I was working with at the time, on this wine for an entire night. And Matt, like, it was like six hours of just going back to this wine, back to this wine, back to this wine. Could... We were everywhere. We're like, all right, reverse demeanor, white burgundy. Like, you, he had us running in circles. Like, we could not... Because it was floral, but it had texture. And like, it had all the aromatics of one grape, but then like didn't taste like Chardonnay at all. And we could not figure out what it was. And so finally at the end of the night, we all sat down for dinner and he poured us a glass and he was like, tell me what it is. And we were like, I, I have no idea. I, I, like, I literally could not come up with another grape. And it was this Ferrero old vines. And it's, I think it's the oldest vines in, in Rieschbos, Rishba- I can't ever say that. Um, oldest, oldest vines in that Aaron's name where they grow up, Um, and it was incredible. I mean, like hundred and fifty year old vines and it was floral and it was textured and salty and layered. And the freaking thing was like thirty five dollars. Isn't that great?
1: That's I... yeah, a beautiful thing. And that's that's what makes it fun. And I, you're right. It's because, you, you know, some of my friends would call them those gems. You want to find the gems. Right. That that just um, that's where blind tastings are, are so much fun as well. And yeah, uh, yes. to go, Oh, wait a minute. And because that's the other thing is we automatically start putting a price point in everything we drink too.
0: You can't help it. <laughs> I mean, the, I think we always are just trying to assign some sort of value to what it is we're drinking. It's just a, it's just a natural thing. It makes it so fun. Yeah.
1: I, I also love a, a nice Viognier as well.
0: And, then, yes. and oh, then, I love Viognier. Yes. Vanessa turned me on to the Gigal. Are you is that what you're gonna say?
2: <laughs> the, yes. Yeah. I blind I blinded Amanda on uh, the Gigal La Dorian uh uh conjure, which I just I adore it. I mean, oh it's just ethereal. It's and it has so much power though for a white wine, you know. Um, but just yeah, just just a gorgeous bottle. I think you nailed it right
0: amanda i did it was it was it was both a um a wonderful thing that you did and also the worst thing ever because you know <laughs> it, it was it was textbook Viognier, but it, we i went first you went second for this blind tasting thing on Psalm tv and so i'm sitting in the back room after i've blind tasted it and i'm just sitting there back there and i'm like i'm drinking this wine cuz it's so delicious forgetting that I've got to go mm-hmm. and, uh, and do this again. So <laughs> I, I ended up getting kind of drunk on, uh, the first half of some TV where I was going to have to be, uh, continuing to be on camera for, you know, the next 45 minutes. So it was a delicious wine to blind taste and I appreciate it, but
2: luckily you're, you're a professional, so you pulled it off.
0: <laughs> I professionally get drunk on TV. Yes, that is my job. <laughs> <laughs> so it's no more job to <laughs> <laughs> where <laughs> after uh hopefully all of this will be over uh sooner rather than later but where where is the first place you and me are heading after uh covid is uh is through and we're allowed to to venture out again
1: i think the time of the year factors into it and we have three kids so for us it's just not like we could it's a lot about what their schedule looks like and when they're free, right. wherever we may go. So um, that that has definitely changed uh, our lives. And when it comes to where we get to travel, where we get to go, it's what's their schedule look like and what's uh, then, we, then then we make the decisions from there.
0: Is there anywhere on your bucket list still that you have not been?
1: You know, yes, there are. There is a couple places. Um, one, I have I, I've been to Spain once. Only Mm -hmm. once. And I want to go back to Spain. And I went when I was 18. And that's I I played in the Olympics in 92 in Barcelona. That's the last time I was in Spain. I haven't been back since. And now that I know wine, I want to go back and hit the regions that we just were talking about, (laughs) you know, from uh, the whites and the reds and everything there. So I want to hit Spain uh, and Australia. Uh, But my dream has always been to go since I was a little kid to go to Australia and now that i love wine to go to australia and hit the wine regions of australia yeah. those beautiful Shirazes that they have out there and just uh, the amazing
0: mm-hmm. wines there have you had the rieslings from australia and this not have an australian <gasps> riesling that's a
2: eden and claire valley uh, rieslings they're so distinctive yeah yeah um, Okay. Mind-blowing. Definitely. Um, they're they're super distinctive. They're usually like bone dry, like screaming acid, um, just super unique. And um, I just, I think, you know, talking about Riesling, there are some varieties that really showcase where they're from. And I think when I think of that, the first thing I think of is, is Riesling.
0: Terroir, man. It's a real thing. It's funny you say that because
1: when we went to Robert Weil in Germany, my, my mom and I, she mentioned this. And I remember... It as well. One of the cool things they did is they had this room we went in, and on the wall was about a three foot frame cutout. It was maybe, it was probably longer than that. It was longer than three feet. It was closer to to six to eight foot cutout. And they had three of these kind of cutouts, rectangular cutouts. They looked like frame, but what they were, they were framed terroir that went down to the different vineyards. So it was showing the different chalk. To dirt, to slate, and the different ones, and then they had the bottles lined up to go with that particular vineyard and area. So they dug down and put this on the wall. So then you we tried the wines that from those bottles as we're looking at these um, framed uh, dirt samples. Mm-hmm. And what was great is you can really taste. You can see where one was. Hey, there's more slate in this particular um area of the vineyard and you can definitely taste that more in that bottle and, and as you're trying to taste the distinction so yes it definitely matters and uh it has an effect on the wine there's so many yeah. things and that's why i'm amazed at winemakers and like i was telling you um daniel barron is a dear friend he he's fascinating he's brilliant he's fascinating He's humble. There's, there's so many ways to describe him. But I truly believe when it's all said and done, he's an artist. Um, to me, wine brings science and art together to produce this amazing, ever-changing thing.
0: Well, I think your passion is incredible. And it has been such a treat getting to not only chat with you, but chat wine. I mean, I I knew that you had a love for wine. I did not know how deep it went, but I am glad I do now. And man, what an what an awesome afternoon to get to to drink a couple of bottles of wine with you. It's it's such a pleasure.
1: Yeah, it's funny because we talked about the white, and I, I've been drinking the red too. I've kind of put put that <laughs> the, the Kalina, and it. I mean, it's just it's been opened up. It's so amazing yeah. as well. I mean, it's yeah, Valle Valle does just amazing, amazing things yeah. um, with their wines, for sure. So thank you guys so much, Vanessa. Thank you guys. Uh, and like I said, all of you guys are outstanding. And honestly, I, I would love to maybe see if we can all just grab dinner sometime up and nap. Yes. That
0: would
1: be <laughs> a thrill for us. We would love it. Yeah. That would be wonderful.
0: Vanessa, I went into this podcast really expecting to love Nomar Garcia Para, but not expecting to love him as much as I do right now, which is an overwhelming amount. It's overwhelming. I
2: love how passionate he is about learning, that he goes to classes. I mean, I, I was kind of blown away by his wine knowledge, and I have to say this affectionately. He's kind of a wine geek. He
0: is totally wine geek, and the passion is real. You can feel it. You can see it. I am blown away by his wine knowledge. I am blown away by his dedication to learning more about wine, and I just love his approach. It is so refreshing to talk to someone who really isn't scared to try anything and isn't afraid to ask for a little help. Well, it must have been music to your ears since you ran a wine program for so long that he really
2: trusts sommeliers and is okay saying, "Hey, <laughs> this is your list, you know it, I'm in your hands."
0: Yeah. Well, as we think about these wines that we just had, let's talk about our last drops. What did we learn? What did we gain? what wines would we drink again? Well, I
2: loved that we had Riesling today. It made me realize that a lot of times on these podcasts, for whatever reasons, we end up drinking all red. Yeah. So it was so refreshing. I mean, that <laughs> Riesling was just ethereal. So that was amazing. And then also, of course, I mean, Dalla Valle, Kalina, you can't go wrong. It's such a Gorgeous, gorgeous wine.
0: 100%. Yeah. And I, I don't know if we actually mentioned what the name of, of the Riesling was, but it was a 2009 Weingut Prince von Hessen Cabinet Riesling from Rheingau. That is a mouthful. Feel free to say it for me if you'd like. Uh, you nailed it. <laughs> uh, and of course, the Dalla Valle Colina was, was gorgeous. I mean, I, I love Dalla Valle. I love that they have this wine at a price point that is not as, um, at as, as high as their Oakville or even their Maya. So for people to just get a stylistic sense of this wine, I think it's just so wonderful and it of course comes from a historic estate that I've been a fan of really since I moved to Napa Valley so we had some great wines today, and I'm sure people who were listening to this podcast are like, where can I get this Riesling and, and Della Valley Kalina? So tell me where this wine can happen and others like it.
2: You can find it at WineAccess.com. Um, you can go there. You can shop the collection online. You can sign up for our daily emails by giving us your email address. If you're looking for a club, we have a wine club. And of course you can find us on Instagram at Wine Access or Facebook on the Wine Access Experience Facebook group.
0: Vanessa, I trust you all day, every day. You are my go-to wine gal. And we love to earn your trust. If you like what you heard today, give us a review and subscribe to the podcast. It means a lot. Well, um, I think we hit it out of the park, wouldn't you say? Oh, painful. (laughs) See what I did there? I do. (laughs) All right. Well, enjoy your last drops and cheers. Cheers, Amanda.